if you repeat results, you are in the business that is diagonally opposite to innovation. You know, I've heard people say it's all about execution. Blackberry was executing really well. Trouble is, the world changed while they were busy executing. The most powerful catalyst for getting people into the right frame of mind to do something different and to innovate is actually the sharing of stories. I'm curious, I want to pivot a little bit to, to just your, your own innate interests. Um, in, in transformation, there's a lot of work to be done. When, when the pressures aren't on, what are the types of challenges within that you find the most gratifying that you tend to find that you, you gravitate towards these kinds of challenges um, or aspects of the work? Um, just kind of curious to get, get your internal compass. Yeah, I, I'm an, a connector you know, innately. Um, so I love to connect people with people or people with things or, mm-hmm. you know, be an interlocutor, right? To see projects and people become the best versions of themselves. I am a fixer. I like to come in to things that are broken. Uh, so that serves you well. I yeah. don't, I don't, it's weird. You know, some people are like, why the hell would you do that? But I enjoy coming in and seeing impact quickly around, mm-hmm. you know, things, right. And saying, mm-hmm. Oh, well just with these slight tweaks or these modifications or sometimes big overhauls, but um, <laughs> it's rarely those small tweaks, right? There's a lot more time. But I also really enjoy building go-to-market plans and executing on it. I've this weird hybrid. There are people often that are really good strategists that Mm. know how to put it down on paper. And, you know, then there are others who are just tremendous executors of, you know, plans. And I really like the mashup of both, being Mm. able to both help work with a team to establish the strategy, the go-to-market plans, and then be able to see the execution through mm. um, as an operator. Um, what about the go-to-market? I mean, just as a topic, like what about that um, thrills you? You know, there are so many tremendous companies out there that have an amazing product, mm. But they have no way of figuring out or very little knowledge or expertise to figure out how to actually take that to market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you find a tremendous product, and this is, I think, back to your product mindset book, Jess, mm-hmm. because like, or you have a tremendous product, but you're targeting completely the wrong audience mm-hmm. um, like or client in your, base. in your messaging, you mean, like in terms of? Either messaging or the product itself. Uh-huh. Maybe it's a product actually designed to fit better to an SME space versus a large enterprise market. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a product that inherently is actually not a consumer-based product, but has a different application mm. or use, but you just were so... You know, you were so focused on building a, the cool product mm. that you you lost sight of the customer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who's your end customer? Yeah. And so much of the go-to-market actually has to start with product because why do you exist? You, you exist to service a client or a customer or whatever with a product and set of services, a solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have that right out of the gate, 
you inherently will flub up the rest of your go-to-market. And Hmm. I think that's why I find that so intriguing is companies often go at it as backwards. They will actually really ask backwards. They will build an organization first. Hmm. They will bring in people first. Then they will try to figure out what are we going to market towards? Like, who are we targeting? Mm -hmm. And then they'll try to figure out the product. And it should be completely the other way around. Mm. What product are we building? What is it? What is the purpose, mm. right, of that product servicing what set of customers? And then figuring out how can we take that to those customers by through via sales and marketing and mm-hmm. channel and services wrappers and partnerships and and and. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, once you've figured out the go-to-market plan, only then should you actually be hiring the right people to be in the right roles to execute mm-hmm. on that. Yep. But in by roles, we're talking about like sales, product right. marketing. Do I hire an inside salesperson for that rec, or do I hire an experienced large enterprise, you know, global account manager who has sold to large financials before, mm-hmm. you know, for example. And I can only make that determination once I actually know what my go-to-market mm-hmm. looks like. What your, what your ideal buyer looks like, who's the person who can make that decision, mm-hmm. what's going to resonate right. with them, right? That, How that. are we taking it to market, mm-hmm. what deployment methodologies, mm-hmm. through what channels? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hmm. so we've... We've talked a lot to Gartner about, you know, the sales environment. And so what they're seeing is that there's a lot of turnaround and salespeople that they're mm. turning around. They're also showing up and they've they pointed to a lot of research that's really hard for people to buy. So you kind of understand all of these different, this ecosystem that they're working on. And if you hire some high priced person, but they don't have the rest of the pieces, they're just not going to be effective and they're going to be gone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's exactly right. Yeah, it's so. In- and then there's there's so much written in our industry now, whether it's design thinking or lean startup, or the the methodologies are are building out faster than people can keep up with them. <laughs> but they're all focused on stay close to value. What problem are you solving in the market? Will they and will they pay to solve that problem? And yes. which I think is a really useful frame. It's like that's where that's where a business can be built. It can't be built because you have a product. Yes. Um, you don't start with a product. You don't start with the. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, whatever other aspect of business is really right. about a, a problem worth solving, worth that's enough right. to be paid for. And um, and that's where Rami and Engen and Andrew Stein, like amazing, they saw an opportunity to fill a major gap that existed mm-hmm. where no one was solving that problem around bots, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, they were talking, you know, Rami was at, I think at the time working at Newstar and was speaking to customers, selling them, you know, Newstar capabilities, which, you know, they had tremendous DDoS and DNS capabilities, but they were like, okay, but can you also solve this other problem that I'm having around these bots? Mm-hmm. And started looking around and realizing no one has done this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go do this, mm-hmm. right? I mean... Yeah, amazing, but solving a real problem, That's a right. real pain point. Already a Noah buyer. Very right? valuable. As I yeah. recall, they were the ones who really created the space, created create, the market, you know, yeah. bought the first yes. product, led the whole market. That's right. Was very, very forward looking, created things that, you know, did not exist no. at all. 
and in and, and there was no, it's a completely wide open space. And then other people started to, you know, then the second challenge comes to like, oh, people are like, oh. New entrants in yeah. the market. Then there's new entrants. <laughs> but it, but, it, but it's, and it's really interesting to think about that cycle, right? Like you find a gap in the market, you provide a solution to that gap, you have some success, some traction, right? I mean, just still had, mm-hmm. had accomplished a lot. But now the competitive landscape changes, and now you have to bring in a more integrated go-to-market strategy that directly informs the product. Make sure you maintain some competitive differentiation and and that that lead that you had built. That's right. right? And recapture that. And this is a, a very interesting time for many startups is that pivot point right there. That's it's almost a stall point, mm-hmm. right? Because they get to a certain level of revenue. And then it is really hard to get to the next tier mm-hmm. of bookings and revenue. Yep. And it's also typically around the same time that the market is reaffirmed, yep. you know, and entrants start coming in, new entrants mm-hmm. start coming in, and yep. you've got competition. And by the way, they have the benefit of learning from you. That's right. Yeah. To say, to get okay, to where you worked. are is a shorter distance. Yeah, yeah. what worked <laughs> and how, what can I leapfrog? That's right. Yeah. So and they warmed up the market to the need. That's right. right. Like yeah. Now there's there's marketing. There's there's yes. you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. I will ride your wave, no problem. Um, yeah, no. I mean, that makes a ton of sense, right? And what got you there won't carry you into the next. Phase. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Well, keeping with the theme of, of uh, advice for folks that are thinking they're they're entering a turnaround phase at various levels, could be at, at the executive level, could be deeper in the trenches. What, what kinds of things would you? What kinds of advice would you impart to those individuals as they they're they're at that that precipice uh, and entering that phase? Um, what would you What would you say to them? Yeah, um, I think you actually just said it right there. Um, another tremendous book I'd recommend, which is "What Got You Here Won't Get You There," mm. oh. and and it is about making sure you, on a continual basis, reassess your organization to determine: Okay, do I have the right, you know, methodologies, the right structure, the right people, the right skill sets in place to now take us from here where we've gotten to there, you know, to the next the next phase. It can be extremely challenging, especially in a world where, you know, you've now built this startup with all these tremendous people um, who are, you know, wonderful and loyal and have done a tremendous job, you know, soldiering through some really tough challenges, but you sometimes find that those same individuals then don't have the proper skill set to be able to get you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and it's having some of those transparent conversations with some of some of those team members that is often the most difficult. You know, to say, okay, does it make sense to move you into a different role or for you to find your next thing outside of our organization somewhere else where, you know, they can flourish, by the way? Because some, I remember having a conversation with one gentleman at Distill, tremendous guy, just, and loved by everybody, just heart of gold. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, when we were getting to that next phase and he was, and we were having to implement more discipline and more structure and methodology. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you know, I was actually having more fun, you know, when I was told to like take the hill Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. be the utility player and, you know, manage five different things all at once. And, 
that's actually what I want to be doing again. Mm-hmm. And and that was okay. Like yeah. for him to acknowledge that and 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 for us to support that and say, okay, that's great. And he's off to his next thing and he's doing really well and yeah. in the next company doing the same yeah. thing that so yeah. for some of us it's recognizing what stage of a company are you best at? Mm-hmm. Or are you enjoying the most? And for some people it is early stage yep. startups yep. where there is a lot of chaos and dysfunction and the job role isn't as defined and you're doing five different jobs and that's yeah. totally okay. No, be be you. Mm-hmm. You do you. Yeah. For others, it's okay, now's the time to, you know, later stage create the scale, yep. right? Yep. To be able to sustain and build and grow for longer term yep. kind of mm-hmm. purposes. And it often takes a different person and skill set. It, it's one of the hardest uh, conversations. I think the human side of this whole, the whole, the story that you're telling, right? Like the, having those kinds of conversations, protecting psychological safety while having to make those hard determinations, hopefully in collaboration with those individuals, yeah. um, but but how you respect what they've accomplished, but also acknowledge that they may not be a fit for the next stage. That is a that is an art form. That is that is uh, no. super difficult. Um, but I also think so important to to the successful cultural transformation that you need to go along with uh, the business transformation and yeah. the, the practices and of maturity. Good on on him for kind of coming to that realization. I've had I've struggled personally with figuring out where I fit in a company's life cycle and what I really like to. Do. And mm-hmm. it's definitely been a, it's been a struggle for me, and I think it's it's that can be. I've seen a lot of people, like friends of mine, in different stage companies who've mm-hmm. who've had to kind of really figure that out, and it's a it's a it's a challenging thing to do. But you know, really good on him for realizing kind of where he needs to be and what he needs to do. I just want to. We're we've been going on for a little bit. I want to pull out just a little bit, and you know, talk about the broader security space. Mm-hmm. So many of. Um, our listeners are in the, you know, are in product and technology, and they're dealing with um, this broader ecosystem of things. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the security space and how people should be thinking about it. Yeah, boy, it's uh, it's been a it's been a an experience going through the last kind of twenty years or so. Now that I've been in in this industry, you know starting at the White House under Richard Clark where people didn't even know how to spell cybersecurity to <laughs> to today like it's it's so much has happened but despite that I still feel like we're in early kind of days mm. and almost you know now toddler phase right in the cybersecurity <laughs> world you've got some really interesting trends taking place mm. that are completely disrupting the the security world the, the just inundation of you know cloud right and everybody moving to mm-hmm. cloud whether that's you know hybrid or public or whatever right the consumerization of IT the continued consumerization mm-hmm. uh, of all things you know to applications you know IOT you know the influx of API environments mm-hmm. so that products can connect with other products uh, for security purposes or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all tremendous enablers, right? We all benefit every day from, you know, the onset of all of those those things. 
But with that also comes its unique challenges as it pertains to security, because we're no longer in this perimeter-based, mm. I can you know, protect, have a moat around my organization that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So how do you best protect the data and the assets within your organization? It is so tremendously difficult for CIOs or CISOs to navigate today. You, t- you add those trends and intersect that with the fact that there is massive product saturation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the hundreds and hundreds of security startups alone, you know, as I will walk through the expo floors of RSA conference next week, mm-hmm. just boggles the mind, <laughs> right? And many of them, you know, they look like they're doing the same thing. They all yeah. use the same terminology. <laughs> I'm happy to hear and, you say that. Ter- I- <laughs> yeah. I mean, we will see nothing but, you know, machine learning based and, you know, <laughs> di- you know cloud, you know, all Perimeter, of these terms. Exactly. Yeah. That, you know, everybody's using the same terminology to try to articulate what their product does for their customers in the security world. And so you add that, you know, there are many... CISOs today or CIOs or other executives now coming, I, I have conversations with them regularly and they're like, okay, in order for me to add a new product into my environment, what am I replacing? In other words, like stop just giving me additional point products to throw in the environment. I already have too many to manage. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, you're hearing them say, in order for me to acquire this capability, I need to see it integrate with the rest of my ecosystem, my environment. I've already invested tremendous amounts of dollars in these other capabilities. How are you going to be able to take your bot mitigation capability and integrate it with my in a web application firewall, my mm-hmm. CDN, my you know other type of platform sim like capability, right mm-hmm. for actioning, mm-hmm. and I don't blame them one bit. Mm-hmm. That is what we as an industry should be focused more on: yeah. is ecosystem and how we are bringing a customer more value through more seamless integration mm-hmm. um, with one another. So that the investments can be recursive, like reinforcing rather than... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so that the data, mm. you know, feeding one technology can also feed other technologies because what you often find in the security world is different data points actually contribute to other data points, so one plus one equals four. Right, um, right. And especially in threat assessments. Especially in threat assessments mm-hmm. and being able to take that threat information and action it effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see a lot more work coming in that world as well as a lot mm-hmm. more maturation coming in, in the world of risk management, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, this is all about risk management. Yep. We don't secure things just to secure things. We secure them, and nothing's ever 100% securable, right? You've got to make sure that you are managing to the risks within your organization, protecting the things most valuable to you. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So 
for every guest, we ask, um, we have a couple standard questions. So we've we've chosen two for you today. So there are curiosity set, satisfying yes. questions here. Oh, yes. Lord, <laughs> seriously. Um, so what's the one thing you always look for on a team that tells you if it's healthy or in trouble? Hmm. I... <sighs> And we talked a little bit about this before, right? The ability for the team to communicate effectively and and be transparent with one another mm-hmm. in a professional way. Mm-hmm. Yep. The thing that I find most toxic amongst teams is passive aggressiveness, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, people can disagree. Mm-hmm. People can have open dialogue to debate, and that's actually how very healthy. Mm-hmm. But what is not healthy is the toxicity that, you know, passive aggressiveness brings um, within a team or an organization. So what piece of technology, analog software or hardware, can you not live without? I mean, I feel so like, you know, blah saying this, but it is literally my phone, (laughs) you know, because of all the application, my mobile workstation (laughs) um, and Zoom Mm -hmm. because, Uh you know, in a distributed workforce. Yes. Totally, yes, yes. <laughs> I can't tell you, you how <laughs> much better your engagements are with people when you can actually see their face, yeah. right? That's and been a transfer, almost, almost a tra- an unsung transformational technology, right? That we can do really, video calls. Yeah, It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's just as important as seeing, hearing somebody's, you know, verbal no. You know, cues. It's it's the nonverbal cues too yes. that yeah. are just so important when yeah. you're having a conversation. So I think so. Just to go a little bit further, like <laughs> knowing a little bit, the Zoom was so baked into the culture. Let's do a Zoom. Let's get this going. Let's launch it from Slack. Like I think there was this is one of the this still is one of the places I've seen that I thought did that. There was just a lot baked into the culture that was like. No, there was never a moment where people didn't have their cameras on. Like you never, like they hit it. Didn't matter what kind of you know, <laughs> what you like, looked like. <laughs> what you looked like, that camera was on. Especially when you're talking yeah. to like Johan and team. When it's, I know it's late at night, but there, there was cameras are on. Yeah. Like, so, like, what are the other little cultural things that you guys have done to make Zoom really work for you? Well, that is one of them because. What will happen often if you don't declare it up front and early and reinforce it is people will use Zoom, but they'll use it as a phone on their computer. Yep. <laughs> they will. Yep. If you don't make it clear that, you know what, I, I, I really need to see your face when we have this conversation. Yep. And, yep. And, and it was one of those things that we just continually reinforced hmm. and role modeled yep. too, for that matter. It was just like, it is what it is. And interestingly enough, at Imperva now, we use Zoom. Hmm. It's a very distributed workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, Israel, Belfast, Plano, Texas, Redwood Shores is headquarters, Arlington office. I mean, we're all over the place. Hmm. So having Zoom you know, has been wonderful to be able to actually speed up trust Hmm. also uh, amongst individuals that, you know, you're working with that are, you know, remotely distributed. Yeah, turns out humans. They, they need this, right. right? And and just to round out the story, Imperva acquired Distill, is that correct? 
Yes, uh, I don't yes. think we told so that part I'm of the now, story. Part of, <laughs> now part of, yes. That's an important uh, there, chapter. There was, yes, there, there, there was a, you know, a, a positive exit. Uh, we were acquired by Imperva on July 1st mm-hmm. of 2019. Thank That's you. That's fantastic. And, and so um, the Distill team is now part of Imperva mm-hmm. uh, and we'll be launching the next uh, versions of our bot advanced bot management pr- um, protection product set uh, in April. One that is a connector-based product that can integrate, as we talk about ecosystem, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with many different third-party web application firewalls, CDNs, uh, cloud providers, et cetera, which is great. great. Yeah. Um, and we're already getting rave reviews. That that product is already out. Um, we're GAing our advanced bot protection capability integrated with Imperva's web application firewall in April. So it will be literally baked in, seamless to the the customer. We're really excited about that. We actually have it right now in beta with several customers seeing tremendous results. So we are, we couldn't be more thrilled about the the marriage uh, between (laughs) Imperva and Distill. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And so nice to end a transformation story with a happy ending. Uh, yeah, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining yeah, us. This has you. been a, a fantastic conversation. I appreciate your insights. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com or visit threepillarglobal.com.